0: Danny Higginbotham played for Manchester United, Derby County, Southampton, Stoke, Sunderland.
1: So, Danny, you started off your career at Man United and you're from Manchester originally. So, were you a Man U fan growing up? Oh, yeah, definitely. one,
0: uh, 100%. Um, you know, my, my family... Always, always been Reds. There is a lot of Manchester City fans in in Manchester. But, you know, there's a fair number of, of Manchester United fans as well. And the pub where my dad used to go to all the time was predominantly a, a Manchester City pub. So he used to get a little bit of stick for that. But no, it's it's always been, you know, all the way through our family. It's it, It's a household full of Reds.
1: Yeah, and early on in your career, you went to Royal Antwerp in Belgium, which is quite a well-trodden path for Man United players. Uh, How was it going over to another country at such a young age?
0: Um, There was just complete trust in the coaching staff. Um, at the club at the time you know they they were they were well known for for doing the right thing with 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 the youth coming through the ranks and when I was told it was Jim Ryan I think who was the reserve team manager at the time he was the one that pulled me and said you know we we want you to go over there and it it was a little bit nerve-wracking at first because I was the first one to go over there and you know I was over there on my own for three months before any other lads came from United but I think You know, listening to what Sir Alex Ferguson had to say at the time, the likes of Jim Ryan, Eric Harrison, Neil Bailey, um, and and other coaching staff there, it it was one hundred percent the right thing for me to do because I often felt that a club like United, they they did right by the young players, and if they thought it was going to be beneficial for them, then you know they would they would get the young players to to do whatever it was that that would you know give them that experience to make them a better player. So I had full trust in. And what the club were doing and they were doing the right thing by me.
1: Yeah. And from what I understand, you didn't get off to the best relationship <laughs> with the fans. Uh, what happened there?
0: Um, it, w- it was a re- really quick growing up period for me because, you know, I think I'd, I'd made my debut the season before for United. I played half an hour, I think the last game of the season at, at Barnsley. Um, and then, you know, it was my first real taste of first team football and how how much it meant. So obviously myself coming over from United, you know, can't forget, I think I was only 19 at the time, but, you know, there was this player coming over from United and he was all of a sudden going to make the difference, which is very high expectation from A, a defender and, and B, a, a young player who's not really had much first team experience. So I went over there and the first three games we played, I think the first game I played in, we got beat by a one of the local rivals, a team called Mollenbeck. Um, then we got beat at home, and then we went away to a team. I think it was called. Oh, do you know? I can't remember uh, remember the name of the team. But we went there and we played really well and got beat five nil, <laughs> <laughs> which which is a stupid statement in the first place. But it it, it was so true. We we played well and, and got beat five nil. Um, And then we're on the team bus on the way home, and and as we're getting back to to the stadium, you know, there's a load of supporters waiting, and I mean, a lot of supporters, quite a few hundred waiting. So, like me being naive as I was at the time, you know, I was like saying to some of the players on the bus, you know, it's it's great that you know the 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 supporters are waiting for us, you know, just to tell us to keep our head up and what have you. And it was complete opposite. All the players walked off the bus. There was no problem. And and as I walked off, I just got absolutely. I, I got battered. Um, what do you mean? Like,
1: like actually attacked? Uh, no,
0: no, oh, I no, was no. Say. Not, not so much that, but like, but verbally, verbally, I, I got attacked and what have you. And, and probably, yeah, I, w- I would imagine that if the manager and his wife weren't there, maybe a few of the supporters probably could have got a little bit more aggressive. And they gave me, they gave me a lot, a lot of abuse. And it was something that was, you know, very alien to me. You know, being being a young player and 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 really witnessing this for the first time and it was the manager's wife she was the one you know she she got in between she got in between me and you know the the irate supporters and just said you know what what are you doing this is a 19 year old kid he's played three games and all of a sudden you're blaming him for everything um and then you know she and, and the manager took me into the dressing room we just sat there for 5 or 10 minutes and i just said i, I want to leave you know this is this is not the experience that i've come for um and the manager just said to me, he said, you know, please come out with with me and my wife for a meal tomorrow and, you know, I want to have a chat with you. So I was like, okay, so we went out for a meal and I was adamant that, that I wanted to go home. You know, I'd, I'd gone to a country where in that part of Belgium, it's it's a very difficult language to understand. They, they speak Flemish, which is a mix of, I think, French, German and Dutch and to even, to even try and understand it is difficult enough in itself, you know, and I'd only been there two or three weeks and it was a, it was a very, the, the dress room was, was a wonderful place to be because I think there was something like 18 or 19 different nationalities and everybody was, was very close And I became very close with the players as time went on. But like I say, this was only after about two or three weeks. I was in a hotel on my own and, you know, I'd just been given a a car by the club. So I was just having to figure all that out as well. And the manager and his wife took me out for a meal and we had a really long conversation. And towards the end of the chat, he just said to me, he said, you know, I promise you, he said, just give me one month. And if things don't change in that month, I will pay for your flight home. And, you know, I'll wish you well. So, you know, I, I begrudgingly at the time, you know, it was the best decision I ever made, but I begrudgingly at the time, you know, agreed and said, yeah, I'll, I'll carry on. And he was telling me, you know, we're, we're on the verge of changing things here. And I, I couldn't get my head around that because we just lost the, the last game five and then lost the first three games that had been there. And he just said to me, you know, things will change. He said, give me a month. So I was like, okay. And I think we won the next 12 games and we were third at Christmas. And... It was it was a really valuable lesson for me at, at such a young age. You know that 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 told me really that sometimes to get to where you want to be, to to have success by whatever you define success that that that's anything in life. That doesn't mean in football necessarily winning trophies, being the best player on the pitch, being at the best team, you know. But but doing what you can do, being the best that you can be, and, and helping your team to be the best that they can be. And that's the same with with any walk of life and. You know, sometimes you have to get you have to get through the hard times to to really appreciate the good times and to and to actually become probably more aware that 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 you have to go through these tough times for for you to really benefit and and understand everything else. And I think it was about three or four games after this had happened, um, we played an away game, and it was a really bizarre setup. We'd we'd won the game, we've gone into the dressing room, and it was there was a glass roof. So obviously, I didn't understand it at the time. You know, I hadn't even really looked up at the ceiling to see that it was just a see-through ceiling. Um, and and we were in the dressing room, and everybody, like I say, the atmosphere had completely changed from 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 what had happened a few weeks previous. And you know, everybody was celebrating because we we're on we were on a good run now. And then all of a sudden, I just heard some banging, and I didn't think anything of it. And the banging just kept coming and kept coming. I was looking around, and I looked up at the ceiling, and and it was an Antrup supporter. And it was the answer supporter that had that had basically bitten my head off a few weeks previous. But he was on he, he was on on the roof. He was topless. I had, had nothing there, just full of tattoos. And he was pointing to his tattoos and everything. And he was just looking at me, pointing at me. And I'm thinking to myself, things are going all right now. Surely you're not going to go for me again. And then it all settled down. And you know, we as as we've gone towards the bus, towards the, the coach to to get back on, to to go back home. Um, he's waiting there for me and he's crying his eyes out. And he was just so so apologetic towards me and he was just, you know, pointing at all his tattoos and obviously in broken English and just apologising to me, saying, you know, I, it was wrong of me and this club just means so much to me. And and that, that's how I was with, with with a club, you know, like Roland. So you've got to remember that they were in, I think it was the UEFA Cup final, maybe in 92 or 94, where they played at Wembley and they had a close association with with some of the clubs in England and they're so well supported and the, the drop that they'd had in, in recent seasons was just, was incredible. You know, thankfully now, you know, they're back up in the top league and their rivals for so long, the likes of Anderlecht and, and, and Bruges, um, they weren't the rivals anymore after they got relegated. So was, there was a lot of frustration. Uh, but after after that, they were absolutely magnificent with me, absolutely brilliant. I couldn't have asked for anything more the way that they treated me. And I like to think that, that I repaid that faith in some way to them as well with the season the season that we had. And we were un- very unfortunate not to get promoted.
1: Yeah, well, you went back to Man United and you made a handful mm. of appearances, but you were behind the likes of, you know, Dennis Irwin, Phil Neville, Mikel Silvestre. Um, did you ever think you would break into the first team? And at what point did you realise, I'm going to have to leave here? Um. I'd signed, after I'd come back from Belgium, I'd
0: signed a new four-year contract. Um so it was nothing to do with a time scale time scale on a contract. When I left I still had three years left. Um but I always promised myself that excuse me, a club like United, one of the things that can happen is that you can outstay your welcome. And if you outstay your welcome, then you know your career can be over really or you could have really harmed your career before it's before it's properly begun. And I was under no illusions with that. And going into going into the summer that when I ended up moving to Derby, I was going to give myself one more year, which would take me to the age of 22. And if I hadn't made any type of breakthrough, then I was going to ask to leave the club anyway. Because like I said, I'd, I'd seen so many players that, you know, 23 years of age, 24 years of age, probably a little bit frightened to leave the club because that association with Manchester United, but, you know, you and me sat here as close to playing for, for United's first team as as what they probably were, and and I was. It, it was important for me that I didn't find myself in that position, and my mind was was sort of made up for me. You know, I'd, I'd been fortunate enough to play a few times for for the club that I love. And that's something that, you know, I'll I'll never forget and can never be taken away from me. But you've also got to think you can't let your heart rule your head and you've got to got to understand that your football career doesn't the be all and end all isn't Manchester United. And if you're seen as not being good enough, then you you have to make the moves at the right time. And football, whichever way you want to look at it, a lot of the time can all can be all about timings. And Sir Alex Ferguson rang me up in I think it was the summer of 2000. And he said to me, he said, you know, we've had a bid in from Derby and, you know, you don't have to go. But as you quite rightly mentioned, Mikel Sylvester, Dennis Irwin, Phil Neville, they, they were ahead of me. And that, that was an unbelievable team. You know, they did won the treble the season before last. And for me, it was, it was an honour and a pleasure to to be able to share the pitch with, with some of those players at the time and train with them week in, week out. And I learned so much from them. Um, is in terms of not just ability-wise, you know, and how to be, how to become a better player, but just how to conduct yourself. You know, training was in, was as important as matches, and you train how you play. And Sir Alex Ferguson said to me, "You know," he said, "I'll give you twenty-four hours." And I just said, "I, I don't need twenty-four hours from from my perspective." Because a lot of people have asked me, "Oh, was it hard to leave United?" It wasn't hard to leave United because Sir Alex Ferguson was was willing to sell me. And did that make your mind up? Yeah, 100% He made my mind up because if he'd have rang me up and said, you know, just to let you know how well you've been doing, a Premier League club has come in and put an offer in for you, but we don't want you to go. Or if it had not said anything to me and kept me at the club, then then that means that he wanted me to stay at the club. But for him to pick the phone up and actually ring me, you know, I think he he, he he wasn't in two minds whether he wanted me to go. He was happy for me to go. You know, the club had accepted an offer. It wasn't a club that were desperate for money, that, that were desperate for one and a half, two million pounds, whatever it was. It was nothing to do with that. And when I got off the phone to him, um, you know, I, that, that was it. My mind was made up. And people say, oh, well, you've been at the club since you were nine. And, you know, it's a club that you support. Did it? Did it not hurt you to leave? And I was like, no, it, it was an acceptance. I wasn't good enough to to play for Manchester United week in, week out, and that's no bad thing. There's been so many players that have left the club and and gone on to have you know good careers in the Premier League. So I didn't think that I was an, an, an exception to the rule. So it it was a chance then for me to go on and try and further my career in my own way, rather than the next season looking and saying, "All right, well, I might get an opportunity. I might play two or three games." But by and large, I'm going to be playing in the reserve team. So it was a sink or swim uh, moment for me. And I'm I'm so happy that I did make that decision. Because if I hadn't have done, then, you know, I I may not have been fortunate enough to play for as long as I did in the Premier League.
1: Yeah, and you moved to Derby for £2 million, which was quite a lot at the time Mm. for someone who had only played (laughs) a handful of senior games in England. Um, But you won Player of the Year, and it seemed like you really enjoyed your time Mm. at Derby.
0: I did. It It was a big lesson for me very early on you know your pre-season just silly little things like your pre-season training at, at united pre-season was tough but a lot of it was done with the ball you know i went to derby pre-season went up another level fitness wise and you know steve round i've said it many times before uh, he, he said to me after one session when i was just on the floor i just thought I was going to be sick and he just came over to me knelt down beside me and just went Are you okay and went well, I'm just struggling, you know. It was in my first preseason, and said, "I've I've never done a preseason like this before." And he said, "Well, you know, you've you've left a club that dominates the ball for seventy percent of the time, and you've joined your, joined a club that's chasing the ball for seventy percent of the time. So your fitness levels have to be on another level." And and that was a a real early lesson for me at Derby, and it took me a took me a bit of time to adjust. But then I think as the season went on, it didn't start great. But then as the season went on. You know, things got better for me, and I got a better understanding of, of of how it is. You know, with certain clubs within the Premier League, that where you are fighting to stay in the league, and then it all culminated with with us winning at Old Trafford to to stay in the Premier League. So it ended up being a very good season, a huge learning curve for me, and you know, it, it was something that that I took with me then in the in the rest of my career. How. Not only at Manchester United, how to conduct yourself and, and how you have to be, but the other side of things when you're down fighting it, at the bottom end of the Premier League, it's very tough.
1: Yeah, well, Derby eventually got relegated and that led to you moving to Southampton. Mm. But am I right in saying you took a pay cut to go to there?
0: Yeah, I did. And it's it, it was one of those things because I think at the age of, I think I was, maybe when I left, maybe 23, something like that. I'm not too sure. For me, it was all about getting back to the Premier League. It wasn't about the financial side of things. But I think if an older me could have spoken to the younger me, then it would have been, yes, I want to be back in the premier league, but you know, you're taking a pay cut to come from a championship club to go to a premier league club, um, which in itself doesn't make sense. Um, But like I say, for me, it, it was more important at the time to get back to the premier league more than, more than anything as in terms of the financial side of things. And I was always of, I was always of the opinion which was, you know, have success versus in terms of individually do well, um, and then the money follows. And I think it's something that that I like to think is probably, I've, I've probably lived by that, you know, probably from from an early age. Whereas I think now one of the problems that we're having with younger players, not all younger players, and you know, not not young players that are playing near enough week in week out for for their Premier League team. I'm talking about younger players that are playing for the under-21s, under-23s, haven't played for the first team but are already on ridiculous money. Because if you're driven by money, which a large percentage of people are and absolutely fine by me, I have no problems with that. If you're driven by money and you're given an outrageous contract at the age of 18, 19 when you've not even stepped foot on the pitch for the first team, then you're going to rest on your laurels for the foreseeable future and probably the remainder of that contract. So you can actually stifle a young player by giving them too much too soon. And that's a, that's a problem that we can have. Whereas you see other players, you know, I could the, the list could be endless where you have young players going into the first team and they're giving the money, but it doesn't stop their desire. They continue to go and try and be the best that they can be. But, you know, unfortunately, there are a few that when they get paid good money at an early age, they think they've made it. And, you know, that that's that's a real dangerous line. It's a dangerous balance in that because, you know, it, it really does affect a lot of
1: great potential in players. Yeah, so from what you're saying, do you kind of regret that move from Derby to Southampton?
0: No, no, I, I don't regret it in the slightest. But one of the things that I would do from, from a more experienced person's perspective now is said... You know, okay, you're going to take a pay cut, and that's fine. But just make sure there are things in there that are in your favour, because there was things in that contract. The majority of the things in that contract weren't in my favour, as in terms of as in terms of the future. So that's what I would be doing. I don't have a major issue about about taking the pay cut to go to Southampton because it was a club that was on the crest of the wave. It was a great opportunity for, for me to work with one of the best managers I worked with in Gordon Strachan. and he was brilliant. There was some absolutely outstanding players there. Got to an FA Cup final, finished eighth in, in my first season there, my first like well, my half season there. Um and it was a great club to be at. So nothing to do with the club or anything, but what I would have done is emphasise that, you know, the the naivety that you can have at a young age just to make sure that things work more in your favour is in terms of the contract, in, instead of it being for more loaded really for the club, which it was, but like I say, you know, it's, it's one of those things you do, you get paid, whatever you're getting paid, you sign that contract and then you hope then for certain things in that contract to be, well, to, to be, um, well, to be taken out by the club and, and in that situation, it wasn't from my point of view. And that was later down the line. But I had some great times at Southampton, there's, there's no doubt about it. And if that move came up again and I did have to take a pay cut, yeah, 100%, I'd do it again. But I'd make sure certain stipulations in that contract were,
1: were weighted more fairly than what they were. Yeah, well, Gordon Strachan wasn't there throughout the whole time that you were there. There were five different managers during yeah. your spell at the club. Was it quite a chaotic time?
0: It was, it was a chaotic time, but the one thing I would say is that when you're at a club, I've had two relegations and both times that I was relegated, we had we had three managers in a year and you get very little consistency. And a new manager will come in, he'll, he'll have a new style that he probably wants to implement. He'll probably have, excuse me, new ideas of players that he wants to bring in. And before you know it, you're left with a squad of players from... Four or five different managers, and that's going to be very, very difficult to try and get any any success from it. And I just think that you know, obviously, when when Gordon left, it was always going to be very difficult to replace him because of what he'd done at the club, the character that he was. Uh, Paul Sturrock then came in, and we finished the season really well. We had some we had some great results. The next season started, and what was he given? He was given maybe three games something like that and then he was sacked and i didn't agree with that at the time none of the players did we we were the ones that were seen as a reason why he was sacked it was nothing to do with us whatsoever i don't think he fitted the the so-called personality that they wanted at the club um but we we, we were gutted for him you know he he was he was visibly upset when he told us that he was leaving the club and we we were gutted for him it's as simple as that. But the way it was made out, it was made out as though it was the players. You know, there was some some things when we were away pre-season in the back page of newspapers that players had apparently said, we hadn't said anything like that whatsoever. Um, but it was done that way. And, you know, unfortunately, he he left the club. Um, and then when he left, I think it was Steve Wigley next who came in. And Steve was one of the best coaches that I've ever worked with. He was an um, absolutely brilliant coach. He was he was great with the, with the players as well, young and old. But bridging that gap between being a, a coach and a friend to the players to then becoming a manager is very difficult. It's very difficult then for you to. We had the respect. We we respected him hugely. We respected him as a coach and respected him as a as a man and how he was with us. But to then take that step back and become the manager at the same club, I think can be very difficult. Very difficult. And I think Steve Steve found that found that
1: very did tough. you fall out with him
0: yeah I, f- I fell out with him and you know we we made up afterwards but I was I was annoyed and I was frustrated because um we had a game we were playing I think it was Everton away and I wasn't in the team at the time and we were at the hotel and and Steve just said to me he said listen if if Klaus because Klaus Lundervar, who was the club captain I think he was the captain at the time um Steve said to me said you know if he's not fit because I think he was ill. Um, If he's not okay to continue, then you know what? You're going to play. So it's like, okay, no problem, brilliant. So we get down to Everton and Klaus isn't fit to play and I'm not in the team. So obviously, you know, didn't say anything during the game or at the game because, you know, the team's more important at the time. But then on the Monday, I just went and had it out with Steve. You know, I went and sat in his office and said what was all that about? And he said, well, I had a decision to make this, that and what have you. And I disagreed with it. Not, not the simple fact that he didn't put me in the team, but when you say something to a player at a hotel and then 45 minutes later, you completely change your mind, then I didn't agree with that. Um, and, and I told him, he told me his point of view. We fell out for a while. Um, didn't really want me involved and I wasn't involved for a bit. And I get that at the end of the day, I hold no grudges. That's a, that's a, a manager's, a manager's choice you know and and it happens it happens all the time up and down the country in whatever league that you're in Um, but you know we we ended up being okay and then I think his last game I played was was at Old Trafford we played against United then we got beat 3-0 and he just came up to me and he just said you know you did well today this time what have you and you know thank you for everything that's done so I I hold no hard feelings I think the problem is in football you have managers that will fall out with players players that will fall out with managers players that fall out with clubs and things like that but that's the business. That's the business. You can't hold those grudges. You've got to move on and, and, and get on with life. It's, it's as simple as that. And people will think you're a good player. People will think you're a crap player. And you have to deal with that and, and you move on. And the most important thing is that you know what you are. You know, you, you know your limitations. You know what your strengths and weaknesses are. And, you know, like I say, you know, I've seen Steve since. And as far as I'm concerned, it, 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 was, it was something that can happen often. In football, and you know, and it did get heated, it got very heated in his office. To the fact of when I, w- when I walked out, you know, the secretary's office is there and everything, and it was as though everybody was listening in. But that's like I said, that's part and parcel of football, these things happen.
1: Yeah, well, you left Southampton and you went to Stoke, mm. where you got seven goals in your first yeah. season there. Was that your best season for you personally? Um, I'd probably say it was one of the most
0: enjoyable seasons just because um I'd been at Southampton we'd had a season in the championship and then you know the the things obviously that I mentioned previously weren't adhered to us in terms of what what were on my what were in my contract and I was going into my last year and I just said to him I said you know I said you've got two choices I said you either honor the the, the what's in my contract or if you don't then you know I'm gonna see out I'm gonna see out this final year and then I go for free um and then myself and the chairman Rupert Lowe, we ended up we ended up falling out. It seems like I'm a person that falls out <laughs> with people, but this I was well within my rights with this. I feel, and you know, it was backwards and forwards, to and fro. And then I was put on the transfer list. And the only time I when I was on the transfer list was when the press officer got in touch with me to say I was on the transfer list, and you know, did I want to do something on it? And I was like, well news to me because I didn't even know I was on the transfer list then. I was made to train on my own for a few days. Uh, Tony Pulis got in charge and he just said to me, he said, you know, I'm coming back to Stoke, there's a lot of things I want to change and I want you to be the first player that I'm going to sign It's going to help to change the dynamics of the club. Um, so, you know, people thought I was crazy leaving Southampton, a team that had only just, well, a year previous, had come out of the Premier League to to go to a club like Stoke who who had been in the bottom half of the championship, a manager had come back who wasn't greatly appreciated his first time at the club. But it was another sinkhole swim mo- moment. And a lot of people were saying, you know, you're making a mistake. And I just said, well, you know, it, it, it's my choice to do this. And if I do, then there's nobody to blame but myself. And and and, and, it, and it was great for me. You know, I went there, assigned for the club. And, you know, Tony told me all the players that, that, that he wanted to bring in and for the first two months nothing happened. No players were coming in and I was like, Oh, what's going on here? And then the players started to come in and I saw exactly what his plan was and, and it and it was a great season. I think if the season because we didn't have a great start, if the season had another four or five games in it, I think we'd have if not got promoted automatically, we'd have gone in got into the playoffs and we we would have won the playoffs because we were we were in that good a form. Uh, but that wasn't to be, but it was yeah, it, it was a very enjoyable season for me.
1: Yeah and they got promoted the season mm. afterwards but by that point you weren't there because you moved to Sunderland. Yeah. Uh, do you regret not being a part of that side? No, you
0: the, the one thing I say and and, and I'll say it to anybody, have mistakes but don't have regrets because you know m- mistakes are things that you learn from and I think sometimes it's important to to make mistakes because you learn from them. Whereas regrets, there's nothing you can do about them, you know, you can't go back. And that's something that, that's really important to me. And, you know, I speak to speak to my children about it all the time. Make all the mistakes you want when you're a kid. There's no problem with that, because you that's how you learn, that's how you grow, but don't have the regrets. So no, it wasn't a regret of mine. Um I think if I if I rewound the clock again and I probably would probably would do it again because once again it was an opportunity for me to go to the Premier League. And that's where that's where I wanted to be. Everybody wants to to play at the highest level possible. Was there was there a, a little side of me that was a little bit envious of of the team doing what they did that season? Of course, one hundred percent. You know, it was it's a club that that hadn't been in the Premier League before. Wonderful support, fantastic support, and and they fully deserved it. I was delighted for them. You know, because a lot of a lot of that team was was and squad was there the year before. And then afterwards, when I rejoined the club, I became, you know, very good friends with a lot of the people that were part of getting that club promoted. And that group of players that got promoted will will never be forgotten. And I remember at the end of that season, after they'd been promoted, you know, Tony Pulis, I think I played one game maybe or something. He he, he sent me a he sent me a medal, a promotion medal, but uh, which was nice of him. But it meant nothing to me. It meant nothing to me. I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't part of that. You know, it was it was a nice a nice gesture, but. That was nothing to do with me whatsoever. Um, but but no, it was an opportunity for me then to go to a big club in Sunderland to play for a team that had just been promoted to the Premier League and and to play to play for for someone that had had you know the the benefit and the fortune to have, have trained with for a couple of years and, and been on the same pitch as, as him as one of my teammates for a handful of games. So no, it, it was. It was something that I look back and, you know, I have memories, good memories of my time at Sunderland and, and other times that didn't go so well for me. But I, it's its not its not a regret. 100% it's not a regret. And, you know, it's sometimes when you make moves that then leads on to what then goes on the rest of your career or the rest of your life.
1: Yeah. And you rejoined Stoke again. And you've said before that that was your most enjoyable part of your career. Why mm. was that so good compared to other parts?
0: It, it, it was just great to be part of. It was great to be part of a team. There was a few things. Where it was great to be part of a team that stabilized itself in the Premier League whilst everybody had written us the, re- the rest. The rest of the people had written written us off. I think that that was a big thing. I think the area, the area is you know Stoke is their, their, their hard-working, working class people, and I think in that that early those early few years in the Premier League. The team mirrored the area, and I think that was so important. And there was an unbelievable togetherness between the players and the supporters. And the supporters played an incredible role in us, you know, having having the season that we had in the Premier League. And you know, I remember when I was younger playing, and people used to say, you know, like you speak to lads that have been at other clubs, and you just chat. And some players would turn around and go, Oh, you know, when I was at this club, it just felt so right. It just felt as though that club was made for me and you just feel so at home. And I and I always thought it was just a bit of a, you know, a, a throwaway line that people would put out there. But when I went to Stoke, that's exactly how it was. It was just a wonderful group of people at the club. And that's not just the players, that was the coaching staff, the backroom staff. You know, you had you had the the, the two the two main like Laundry um, Laundry And they were a couple You know It was um, John uh, John and Wynn And they were brilliant You used to take your kids in If you needed to take the kids in While she went training And they'd just sit down And do drawing with them In, in the stadium And it, it There was just an old school feel about it And I've always loved that I've always loved the old school feel I remember when I was a kid At, at United And we, we were at the cliff I love that training ground And then they went to the new ground And I was there for six months It just felt Felt different, but there was a real old school feel about Stoke, and I loved it. Um, I probably played my best football there as well. Tony was was a was a fantastic man manager. He knew how to get the best out of you, and and it was just it was a pleasure and an honour to to be part of those few years in the Premier League. And it's it's something that you look back at now every now and then. And, and there was just such a togetherness. And the one thing that made me realise how much that team's respected is Andy Wilkinson. Who's, you know, Stoke lad through and through, he came through the ranks there and you know had a good career at Stoke. He had to retire early because he, he he got a bit of a brain injury. I think if if my memory serves you right, the ball hit him right in the face and you know it was difficult for him then to carry on. He was told he had to stop. So we um well there was a game organized uh, that he organized, it was part and parcel of. I think he was given a vast uh, a vast amount of the money to charity. And I think they were expecting something like you know, maybe five, ten thousand 10,000 to turn up and they had to open the majority of the ground. I think there was something like, you know, don't quote me on this, but there must have been close to 17, 18, 19,000 there. And and it was that team. It was the team from 2008, 2009, 2009, 2010, the majority of the team. And it just goes to show you how well that team's remembered. And it's it's not for all the fancy football. It's not for finishing, you know, really high in the league and things like that. It was just the togetherness. And I think we mirrored what Stoke was like as an area, the underdogs, the team that was punching above its weight, but would leave nothing would leave nothing on the pitch when we came off that pitch. We were spent, and I think there's a real appreciation, and I think that that team and that squad for those couple of seasons will 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 be fondly remembered for a long time,
1: yeah, well, you were part of like the golden years of Stoke in the Premier League really the rugby you? team, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, but when you look at Stoke now, compared to how they were back then, um, where do you think it's gone wrong for them? Well, I think what,
0: what you've got to remember is that, you know, is, is that, yeah, the times that I had there were absolutely brilliant, but they went up another level again. You know, we've got to be honest there, I'm I'm not going to look back and say, oh yeah, well you know, when I was there, I was the best Stoke team, it, that wasn't, they went up another level. You know, they had three or four continuous ninth place finishes. But the problem that you have, and this doesn't just go for Stoke, this goes for numerous other teams that, that have fallen foul to it as well, is that most teams in the Premier League have a ceiling, and if you want to try and break through that ceiling, it's going to cost you a lot of money. And what you can't remember, people say, if you finish eighth, you you finish eighth or ninth, and you say, right, well, I want to break through this. You know, I'm not saying that there will be seasons when an unexpected team finishes in. You know, six or seven, but that's not continuously going to happen. You know, I think the only team really, in my opinion, probably that, that has maybe gone against the grain with that. We've seen Leicester, they've done it unbelievably well, winning the Premier League, which, which was a great story in itself. But you look at Wolves, Wolves have gone up, you know, but look at the players they've been able to bring in. In my opinion, Wolves will be challenging the top four in the next three or four years because I think they're built to do that. You know, they've got, they've got, they've got the back and they've got the players that are coming in through the door. But I think when you're a, a, a club like Stoke and there's, there's a lot of others as well, is that when you get to that ninth place and you're, you're hitting that ninth place three, four years in a row, instead of saying, right, well, we've got to get to the next level. Maybe, maybe there's not a next level. And I think what happens is if you try and break through that level, people say, well, you can go and spend £100 million and you know that can get you to the next level. But what you've got to remember is that if you're spending £100 million, the teams above you are probably spending £100 million as well. So that £100 million is just enabling you to stand still. And what happens is, and the supporters can be guilty of it as well, because sometimes you can become a victim of your own success. So if you get promoted and you finish 17th, then you finish 16th, you finish 14th, you finish 12th. That's great because it's a gradual pro- uh, progress. But if you're finishing 12th, as we did in the first season, and then I don't know, or, or 11th, whatever it was, and then have a couple of those finishes, and all of a sudden you're finishing 9th, well, the next step after that, then you're looking at, okay, well, maybe we can look to be getting in the top eight. Well, in my opinion, there's probably six teams, Liverpool, Manchester City, Leicester, you could argue now, are one of those top 6 teams. Leicester, Manchester United, Arsenal, Tottenham, Chelsea. There's seven teams. You're saying that you're going to be that eighth team. That's before you even talk about your Everton's and teams like that. So it's very very difficult for you to do that and I think what happened with Stoke the frustration really set in of okay we we've hit our ceiling now why can't we break through the ceiling? And it happens to a large majority of teams that get promoted to the Premier League. The first few years are fantastic because you're on the crest of a wave. It's all new, it's all fresh, you're you're better in your league position. But like anybody, you want to see constant progress. And at times in the Premier League, it's very difficult to do that because the Premier League is probably divided into two or three leagues now. And I think what can happen is when you keep hitting that scene and you can't get through, it, eventually you're going to start going backwards. And I think that, that's what happened. Mark Hughes had a wonderful time there you know, as in terms of what he did with his ninth place finishes. Yes, it ended sour, but sometimes I think clubs can forget where they come from and they can forget what made them strong initially. And when you do that, everything goes out the window and it becomes very, very tough. And when things turned against them, it's very difficult to slow down. And we've seen this season, everybody expected them, well, you know, they spent a lot of money, they're going to be right at the top of the league. It doesn't work like that. People, people don't care about things like that. People don't care for reputations. So it's up to Stoke now to, to rebuild that. You know, they've got a manager now in place in, in O'Neill that, that I think he understands the values of the club. He understands what he wants to do. And hopefully he's able to do that rebuilding process and, and, and get the club going in the right direction again because it's, there's been a couple of years now of, of disappointment and sadness for the club. But for every Stoke City... There's probably nine or ten clubs that actually went even further down. You don't have to look at Sunderland. You know, in recent seasons, you know, you look at League One, Leeds have been in League One, Forest have been in League One, huge clubs have been in League One and it's very, very difficult just because of the size of the club. It doesn't mean you have, you have, the, um, you have the right to be in a Premier League. So, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it's difficult at times, but, you know, hopefully Stoke have turned things around a little bit and things are going to start to look brighter for them in, in the coming future.
1: Mm. Uh, just before we move on to what you think of the rest of the championship season, I've got to ask you about your time mm. for Gibraltar because you've <laughs> made a few appearances for the Gibraltar national team. Um, mm. How did that come about?
0: Well, when I was when I was playing at Stoke and, and, and other teams in the Premier League, there had been phone calls that I'd had, but it made absolutely no sense to them because they weren't um, they weren't recognised at the time by by UEFA. And financially, it would have made no sense to them whatsoever. So, towards the end of my career, I, I was at Sheffield United, then I went to Chester because I wanted to. I wanted to do things on my terms, as in terms of be able to look what I wanted to do next, as in terms of the media side of things, but while still also playing football. So, Chester was part time. And when when Gibraltar got in touch with me, I just thought to myself, right, if if I turn this down now, I'll go back to what I've said earlier, it would have been a regret. You know, and it's something that I, that I can never get back or anything like that. So I just thought that it was the right time then for for me to do it. And, you know, it, it, it's something that I, that I look back. It, it was short and sweet. Um, I was asked to to stay on for the qualifiers, but it was something that I couldn't do. It wouldn't have been fair on anybody. It wouldn't have been fair to the team that I was having to play for because my love for playing football had, had gone to a certain extent. So it would have meant that I would continue playing football on a Saturday without any loving it, just so I could play for Gibraltar. And that wouldn't have been fair on the club I was playing for. It wouldn't have been fair on my family and it wouldn't have been fair on me because I would have been doing something I didn't really want to do just in order to play a game for the national team every few months.
1: I've got to ask, because um, they're seen as like a minnow in the world of football at the moment, but what's the standard like over there? Did you go over there and think, oh, Got these guys aren't as good as I thought they'd be.
0: Yeah, obviously it's going to be different. But what I would say is, technically, technically they're very good. You know, technically they're very good. But the, the problem that you can have in Gibraltar is that there are two teams, really, two or three teams at the most, that are used to winning everything. The likelihood is, is out of those two or three teams, they are going to be the majority of Gibraltar's team. So where you where you look when. Completely, and I'm not comparing the two whatsoever. But if you play for England, the likelihood is is that more often than not, you're in a team that's that's having success. Okay, like I'm saying about Gibraltar, you're having success. But then when you go and play for England, you're also expected to have success. You're not on the back foot because England does some. You know, we're so fortunate the world class players that we have. But with Gibraltar, you go from being part of a team that is winning week in week out, winning all the trophies, winning all the competitions in Gibraltar but then you go and play for the national team which you're expected to lose every game but you don't have that mentality to then dig in not not dig in but it's just not it's just not it's just not put into you that it's completely different situation so for example when i when i made my debut um, against slovakia you know, before the game, everyone's saying, well, it's going to be 7-8-0 and, you know, I think people take that because, you know, it's our first game. We don't want to embarrass ourselves too much and six or seven nils, not an embarrassment. And I'm like, wow, well, okay, this is this is pretty interesting. And after about 10 or 15 minutes, it was, it was the onslaught from Slovakia against us. And let's not forget, you know, Slovakia are, are a decent nation in terms of the quality that they have. And I, I remember saying to the lads, I was like, Listen, we we have to change the mentality in this game because it was every time we got the ball, just flew forward, thinking uh, we're, we're playing in in, in the, the Gibraltarian league. But you you have to change that mindset. You have to change that mentality. And be fair to, and to be fair to the players, they got it straight away, and we just defended and probably played a game or a a mindset in a game that probably very few of those players had had, had ever had to play before. And we got an unbelievable result. We drew 0-0 and it was a very emotional time for everybody. But to be able to turn that on and turn it off is very difficult when you're used to winning week in, week out for your domestic team and then go and play for the national team. Um, But I think slowly but surely, you know, I think they're they're understanding that. Um, And I think it's a case of being very open-minded and allowing people in probably that, that can help them. Don't necessarily have to be from Gibraltar, but can maybe have an effect on on the team, whether that be, you know, help coaching-wise or player-wise.
1: Yeah. Well, you've now moved into punditry and mostly focusing on the EFL. Now the EFL is obviously coming back soon, but we're playing in slightly different circumstances to how uh, we usually see it. Um, If you were still a player, how would you feel playing in the circumstances that players are going to be under very soon?
0: Um, If you'd have asked me a month ago, I'll be completely honest about it, if you'd have asked me a month or a month and a half ago, I would have said, can't go back. Can't go back because because of how things were, and I wrote a couple of pieces about it about what I thought should happen, is in terms of relegation and, and promotion. Um, but like anything, times times change, so opinions can change. You know, I think watching a Bundesliga over over recent weeks has been not an eye opener, but it, it's it's been good to see because I think everybody expected on the pitch to be a little bit tentative. You know, can I make this challenge? Can I go into this tackle and, and and what have you? But it hasn't hasn't been the case whatsoever. The one thing we have been missing is obviously the atmosphere, but that's that's for obvious reasons. You know, you can't have supporters in the ground. Um, the one thing I would say is that as an individual, um, you you don't have the right to tell any player what they can and can't do. If a play, if I, if I'm playing in the Champions League you know, if I'm playing in the Premier League, and one of my teammates doesn't want to play, I respect that decision one hundred percent. Because his circumstances or his thoughts can be completely different than mine. So for any, anybody to come out, whether you're a player or not a player, and say that a player is wrong not to play, I disagree with completely. Because you don't know their situation. You don't know what's going on in their life. You don't know their fears. So I think it has to be each to their own. Um, what I would say about the players that, that have chosen to play, and it, and it has been the vast majority, you know, I, I think we're going to see probably near enough every player that, that's going to come back. We've we've seen instances. We've seen Troy Deeney speak out. No problem with that whatsoever. Because, like I say, it's each to their own. And when players are putting themselves in this in this situation, a lot of the times, if it just involved them, I don't think they would see it as a problem. But when you listen to what these players have got to say, who, who have had their doubts. They're thinking about their family. They're thinking about their parents, their children and things like that. So you have to understand exactly where they're coming from. But what I think we've seen over the last couple of weeks, we've seen players going in and first of all, it was social distancing. Then it was non-contact. Now they're able to go into contact. And I probably would imagine that the confidence of the players going into the games now is a lot greater than what it was A few weeks ago we're seeing the test come back and the one thing that you would say now is that if we don't start this season like i say a month and a half ago i'm not being hypocritical a month and a half ago i said that i don't think the season can continue but i have changed my opinion because of how i've seen germany do it how i've seen the structure of what we're doing how we're doing things here so in my opinion looking at things now the the way things are as long as the players are comfortable, as long as they're in the best position possible, which they seem to be now by having the tests, which I think are two a week, then hopefully we're able to crack on and and a lot of fears are put at ease. But what we can't do whilst we're talking about the Premier League and the Championship, we cannot forget about the lower leagues and we cannot forget about non-league. I love non-league football. My, my brother, you know, I grew up in it following my brother all around the country and I met, As a kid, I met so many individuals that loved the club so much, that did so much for the club for free or for a little bit of money, but it was the highlight of their week. It was the highlight of their weekend, and we can't forget that. You know, the the football world and English football isn't just the Premier League, and by the Premier League starting, I think that will benefit clubs lower down. And, you know, like I say, the one thing I can't stress highly enough is that if players don't want to play, I fully get it. I fully understand because everybody has their reasons for wanting to play or not wanting to play. Hopefully, the vast majority or all of the players will play. But we we can't question. We can't question players. If there are players that don't want to continue, we cannot question them because they will have their rights. And until you put yourselves in their position, you can't question it.
1: Yeah. Let's talk about the championship. I expect you think Leeds and West Brom are pretty much going to walk automatic promotion at this point. <laughs> they, they are.
0: They, when, when I look at it, you know they, what they've had during this season, which is very difficult to get in the championship, you know, I've, I've covered it now for the last three, four years. They've had consistency, you know, and they have been the two best teams in the league, no doubt about it. And when you look at what happened. Obviously, the, the the season got stopped. When, but when you look at what happened before then, so many teams had the opportunity to to leapfrog Leeds, and they couldn't. They couldn't do it. Leeds then got back into into their groove, and you know it does. It, it look it looks now like Leeds and Leeds and West Brom are going to go up. And you know what? They deserve to go up. I think Leeds, how they recovered from what happened to them last season in the semi final, where they looked as though they were cruising to the final, how they've recovered from that. Um, West Brom, how they how they have dealt with losing Rodriguez, Gale and Barnes, how they've dealt with that is is true testament to, to, to the management, to the coaching staff and the players of both clubs. And they have been the two best clubs in the Championship this season. And they deserve to get promoted 100%. And for Leeds, listen, I don't support Leeds United. I'm, I'm a Manchester United supporter. So as a Manchester United supporter... You know, your rivalry has always been the likes of Liverpool and Leeds. But speaking, uh, being honest, it would be great to have Leeds United back in the Premier League. They're a huge football club and they've been a long time out of it. So, you know, we don't know what the rest of the season holds, but Leeds and West Brom, in my opinion, they fully deserve it. They fully deserve to get promoted. Like I say, it's the craziest league that I've ever seen is in terms of predicting results, you just can't predict them. And things could change, but at the moment, as things stand and what I've seen so far this season, Leeds and West Brom, they fully deserve to go up.
1: Yeah, I don't think many championship fans will disagree with you mm. if they're being completely honest with yeah. themselves. Uh, one final question, who would you say is the best of the rest? Oof.
0: It's It's such a difficult one because you look at the teams that are around the playoffs. And it's all about consistency now. I've seen Brentford and I've walked away and I'm like, wow, they are absolutely incredible. You know, they what what they've done with the BMW, their front three has been, they've been fantastic. The manager, I've spoke to the manager on a few occasions, absolutely brilliant. So you look at them and you think, wow, they're they're the best of the rest. Then you go and watch Nottingham Forest and you look what they've done. And you're like, well, hang on a second. You look at their away form, away from home, they're the best of the rest. But the last game I did in the Championship was Millwall going to going to Forest and winning 3-0. And then you look at Millwall and you say, well, oh, they've just gone to Forest and won 3-0. Why can't it be them? And then you look at Fulham, who, who on, on their day are one of the, the best footballing teams in the Championship. So it's just, it's so, it's so difficult to say. There's not someone that I look at and go, they're going to win the playoffs. They're, what what you usually find, and well, it's a qu- quite a lot of the time. It's the team that that has found form going into the playoffs. So if we look at Leeds, they had that little bit of a hangover when they went to the playoffs last year. You know, it fell away for uh, for them. You know, the the Brentford result was a was a real kick in the teeth for them. The Wigan result when they got beat at home, um, and they went into the, the into the playoffs and they had to pick themselves up again really quickly. Because everybody thought that they were going to get promoted automatically, and and I, I was one of I was one of those people thought they get promoted automatically at the time. That's not going to be the case this season, because I don't think there's going to be any heartache for your four places in the playoffs, because I think everybody expects Leeds and West Brom now to go up. Um. So I just don't see Leeds or West Brom dropping off into the playoff. So therefore, it's the teams entering into the playoffs the form that the form that they find themselves in I think that becomes that becomes really important and it's it's so difficult to tell you know you've got you've got your Forest, you've got your Brentford um, you've got your Fulhams you've got Millwall that are there or thereabouts you might have to help me on this one Preston
1: Blackburn there's so
0: many teams that believe that they can have an effect on it and that's what it takes so what I'm saying is if you've got a team at the moment that is probably, I don't know, let's say for example, eighth, ninth, fourth, tenth or whatever, and they go on an incredible run now and get into the playoffs, then regardless of how the rest of the season has panned out, you've got to say that they're the form team. So therefore they could be the team that that could create that little bit of that little bit of um, you know, being just being on the front foot. Whereas as a team that you're looking at, anything you, you know what, yeah, they're going to get promoted, but they could stumble a little bit towards the towards the playoffs. And then it's very difficult to pick yourselves up. So as I've said about football before, it's all about timing. So it's going to be an incredible finish. There's there's no doubt about it. And let's not forget, they've got to get a short, a sh- well, a lot of games into a short space of times, and that could really affect the teams. the 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 size of the squad could have an effect as well. There's so many different things that wouldn't usually affect a normal season that are going to affect this one. Things that we've probably not even thought of yet as well as the season starts to get going again.
1: Yeah. Danny, you've just done a great explanation of why we love the Championship because nobody knows what's going to happen. <laughs> it's bonkers. It's absolutely it is bonkers. bonkers. And, it,
0: and, it, and it's brilliant. And don't get me wrong. You watch the Premier League and it's it's absolutely brilliant. It's fascinating. You know, I love working on the games. But a lot of the times when you do the Premier League games... You know, you know that you know the path the game's going to take before it's began. In the championship, good luck. You ain't got a clue. You haven't got a clue, and, that, and that's what makes it one of the most exciting leagues in Europe, in my opinion.
1: Yeah. Well, you won't get any disagreement from us, Danny. <laughs> thank you for your time today. You're welcome. No problem. Well, this has been the Second Tier Meets with Danny Higginbottom. I've been Ryan Dilks, and we'll be back again on Sunday. Thank you for listening.